Hello everyone and welcome to the Power of Music Thinking. My name is Christoph Zürn and this is the podcast for people with a musical heart and a wicked job. We're looking for stories, insights and tools from the big world of music to inspire leaders and followers to listen, tune, play and perform in whatever field you're operating. Today we speak with Mark Schillam, designer, creative mind and trained musician. Mark was the founding chief experience officer at Metternet, a pioneering transportation startup, awarded World Economic Forum technology pioneer. In his role, he connected the dots between customer needs, hardware design, software design, user experience, visual design, business strategy and brand building. Mark has written op-eds for the World Economic Forum and Virgin Unite, delivered keynotes at South by Southwest, the Lego Marketing Summit, Nike Design Summit, and many others. And Mark is the author of Brands as Patterns, a white paper that opinion makers like Fast Company, Contagious Magazine, and PSFK have republished. We have a wonderful conversation about analogies between design, business, the human body, and music. For example, Mark shares the various roles of a trumpet player in an orchestra and his early experiences with improvising musicians like Graham Collier and Derek Bailey. We talk about different leadership positions from composing, orchestrating and conducting and how different musical styles help us understand our business. And we discuss the difference between frequency and cadence in an agile workspace and how brands can orchestrate their business successfully with patterns. Hello and welcome, Mark, to The Power of Music Thinking. Thank you, Christoph. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Me looking forward too to an interesting conversation because um, uh, we realized we worked for the same agency years ago <laughs> and <laughs> there, there might be a lot of stuff to talk there. And we just realized uh, when, we, when we were connected. But let me start with, a favorite, uh, with my favorite uh, personal question. What was your m most memorable sound or concert or performance experience That you, that you can recall or that you want to share? Uh, I think oh, it's a great question. It sends tingles down my spine, actually. It was, I went to see Bjork. I took my wife to see Bjork at the Berlin Symphony Hall. Oh. Um, she was doing a rendition of Verspatine, but she had Matt Moss, the, the group that were doing a lot of the sound effects in the room with her. Mm. And, you know, a Bjork's great. And, you know, like the music was great, but what blew me away, there was one tune And it was talking about breathing and Matt Moss, the sound effect that I had heard a thousand times was them filling a balloon. And I was like, well, how interesting. They filled this balloon and you heard the sound effect and you heard the song and they let the balloon come to the top of the symphony hall. And as you, everyone was looking up, the stage went black and that was the end of the concert. Oh, and I wow. went, how did they know I was going to do How did they know everyone was going to look at it? was so beautiful because the sound was, because 
it was, it looked like a balloon going in the air and in the song and you knew what it was, but the fact that everybody looked up and then the end of the show happened and the stage went black mm. is that they anticipated not only the sound, but the experience of the sound, the understanding that that sound was coming from a physical object and that physical object floated to the air, air and we would all watch it and that was how they would end. And it was just so orchestrated, I guess is the word. It was so impeccably orchestrated that it was breathless. And you heard every single person let out air. They went, like, wow. And that was the end of the show. And you were like, that's the way to end the show. It doesn't, there's no round of applause. There's no, it was just, wow. Yeah, that's that, that I never, ever will forget the, the sound of the, the balloon filling and being so, um, what's the word for it? So obvious, but so not obvious when you listen to the, to the, to the track. Because the what they were doing was obviously creating narrative layers with the sound that were coming from physical things that were reinterpreting the song. Beautiful, beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing. Hey, Mark, just introduce yourself. So who are you and what do you do for a living? It's funny. Um, I've only recently started to introduce myself. So my grandfather was Swiss. My great-grandfather was Swiss from Interlaken. So hmm. I'm like, a, in a way, a third-generation Swiss. And I love the Swiss for not, you know, even thinking that naturalization in another country is true or real. <laughs> it's still Swiss. So I'm a third-generation Swiss uh, uh, Englishman, you know, born in uh, just outside of London. And um, I have four children, a beautiful wife. Now I'm American, so I live in America. But I hadn't realized probably how much that journey had affected me. Um, uh, obviously, being a migrant from a migrant family is, is interesting in its own narrative. And what do I do for a living? So it's, it's a very curious. I think that, like... Maybe 10, 15 years ago, I would have had to tell you the five or six things I did. Because, you know, I started out in very early in editorial design at the Guardian newspaper. And then, you know, went to more traditional design uh, at Studio Dunbar and Tibor Kalman, you know, great graphic design or, or design roles. And, you know, migrated on to Widener Kennedy in Amsterdam. I'm looking at... Um, the work of Nike and obviously more advertising work. And then eventually to RGA doing a brand and then beyond RGA, I went to method to do product. So very interesting story, but honestly, now I feel like it's all the same thing. Hmm. Like I do orchestration for a living is what I do and uh, design in a, shall we say a slightly more um, connected fashion. So I, I, try, I try not to think about it as the executional aspects of design. I enjoy very much the executional aspects of design, but I enjoy more pulling together different kinds of designers to, to, to get to something bigger. So orchestration is probably the best way I can even express it. Nice. Now, orchestration, that's one of these words that, that you hear yeah, more or less often in the business world. And sometimes I really think, do these guys know what they're talking about? And you also, you have a musical background. And, yeah. and by the way, when I reached out to you, um, you, you shared with me that you um, studied improvisation with uh, Graham Collier and with Derek Bailey. And, and the yeah. second one is, I'm really a fan. So what kind of story is this? Oh, I mean, listen, we, we, so we publish um, a magazine. Uh, I publish a magazine with friends once a year. And this year, the subject matter for index is free. And so I went back into all of my archives from 
just sitting with Derek Bailey. I interviewed him. Um, Graham Collier was my teacher. Uh, I was at the Royal Academy of Music and the Royal College of Art at the same time, but neither knew. Mm-hmm. And I was in the big band, the Royal Academy of Music big band. It's why they had me and why they let me in. And I was took the fourth chair, which is, you know, nobody wants the fourth chair apart from somebody that isn't in the band that couldn't even get into the Royal Academy of Music. So I was very <laughs> enthusiastic about being in the fourth chair. But Graham was a, a, a wonderful influence um, because I loved the double bass. But I played the trumpet and, you know, like lyrically, um, a trumpet is obviously more melodic as an object, as an instrument and less percussive. But um, he would just talk to me consistently about how a, a phrase would be played on the bass. Hmm. And he said, think about it like that and, and open yourself up to kind of be more percussive with your instrument. It's a percussive hmm. instrument, the trumpet. And then, no, he was very, very flexible, he, but he also challenged us. Like I can remember the Royal Academy Music Big Band, we had to play Freedom Jazz Dance. It's one of the hardest pieces to play. And I'm sitting alongside people who are phenomenally talented and they were struggling. And there's me, who's really a Royal College of Arts student, (laughs) temporarily kind of transposed into this world. Um, Derek Bailey was really a chance meeting. Hang on, Mark. You played the trumpet, right? Yes. Okay, the trumpet, also yeah. the fourth chair. Okay, just, fourth chair just, trumpet. Yeah. And, you know, fourth chair trumpet is one of those curious moments, right? You're usually playing the harmony. You're mm-hmm. usually playing the supporting note. You're usually the one trumpet player still playing through everything, while the rest of the trumpet players are going, yeah. honestly, they don't hear us, so why are we playing? I, I think with, with people that that are not so much in, in, into music, that's that's nice to to share nice to what, what this means. So it means if you're a first, you play the melody, you play the yes. solo, right? Yeah. And yeah. if you're the four, you're just playing all the time, but no yes. one is really listening to you. Instead yeah. of um, if you would go away, it everything would break together. <laughs> yeah, and it is percussive, and you start realizing that the fourth trumpet position uh-huh. is quite a percussive role. Because you're adding accents and hints and you're keeping everything good. The other thing is, of course, the second chair. So first chair is the the workhorse. The first chair is the workhorse. You know, all of the high notes, hitting everything. They're leading the team. So they're bringing everybody in. Everyone has to be aligned. The second chair is the always the extrovert, the improvisational genius, mm. the one who plays all the, like the solos. But the interesting thing about second chair is that they usually use fourth chair as a kind of um, as a as a as a kind of uh, a, a, a kind of stand-in, you know, if the second chair thinks, well, this is not the moment for me to extemporize, we'll give it to the fourth chair because everyone knows the fourth chair. You've been hitting beats, counting notes, and you haven't had much light. So <laughs> but no, now I, the question: I, Why not to the third uh, chair? <laughs> because the third chair was the stand-in for the first. <laughs> so, like, you know, there's like, you know, because it's it's. I, I think the interesting thing, and I I know that you will feel this. Um, since I learned the double bass and learned the piano, and I'm not great at either, but I'm trying to get better. The double bass and piano are instruments that are incredibly easy to play and hard to master. Yeah. Like you can go to a piano and even a child can begin. Trumpet's the other way around. Trumpet is incredibly hard to play and quite easy to master once you've worked out how to play. And what you realize is it's just hurts, you know, like, you know, bathing my lips in salt trying to make them harder. Like it was just horrific stuff that you had to go through. And um, it is, um, you realize for a first, first chair trumpet player, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of G's. They're pulling like three, four, five G's in the top notes. They're like mm-hmm. blowing out their necks. It's physical. It's, they're workhorses. So yeah, I think the third, third chair was always like the, 
I can't do another one of these. You have to take over. Oh, cool. And uh, now then, then we're right in, in, in the middle of it explaining what does orchestration then mean because orchestration is more or less actually, actually organizing the, the, the different uh, voices. Yeah, and, and, and it's intriguing. You know, I, I, I was doing a, a conversation with Walter Vazoa, who's a phenomenal Austrian sound designer, but an orchestrator too. And we were talking about conducting And you realize, and I was talking about, you know, like, I was talking about conducting as a metaphor too. And he was like, my God, my Mark, you know what conducting is, and it isn't what you're saying it is. Hmm. You know, conducting is a skill. Orchestrating is a skill too. And understanding who can do what, when, and how is, is arranging and orchestrating. You suddenly realize there's just some fantastic people out there that allow you, as did the Matt Moss Bjork reference that we talked about at the beginning, the orchestration of what someone was doing and how they were doing across time and making sure that, that this thing happened in the right sequence. And it's designed for the people who are playing. I think that's the thing I really like. You know, you, I've played many orchestrations of lots of different pieces and you go, oh, that's interesting. That didn't happen in the way it did before. And, and, and it's the endless reinterpretation of music, but um, an orchestra is also a wonderful thing. You listen to Simon Rattle like as a conductor, but also as an orchestrator, like to pull together something like the uh, 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 the, the Birmingham Symphony Orchestra. It, it, you realize that it's an organization of people, an organization of music, and an organization of an experience all at once. Yeah. And the, the people who can orchestrate and conduct are the geniuses. I, I can't. Like, I think that that's why I'm an orchestrator, not a conductor. I tend not to want to be at the front. Mm, right mm. but what i like doing and and i think the other thing that's connected to orchestration is that um i'm a, a lover of theorists you know the fact that miles davis went to juilliard and he was able to write meant that he could transpose many things that were going on that were intuitive for lots of musicians but weren't they they wouldn't have been they wouldn't have been memorialized and learnable by generations become uh, to come because the, uh, the, 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 those people hadn't learned the, the methods of not only transcribing the right music, but then to orchestrate it in a, a more uh, accessible theme. So I think that orchestration is a little bit more backroom and a little bit more theor theorist. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where I feel comfortable. Oh, no, beautiful, because um, often, and, and you just said it uh, uh, also, the, the conductors used like a metaphor, and metaphor are only just to get an idea across, and most of the time it's not a musical idea, you just pick this. Um, but what's interesting, when uh, I use it often more as an analogy, and then yeah. the question is, okay, the conductor, he's really important. He's not just the guy standing there with the back to the, to the yes. people. But we have to understand that a conductor alone is nothing, and he needs a composer. And maybe I want to hear you take what's then the difference between the composer, the one who's actually creating the music, And the and the conductor and the because many composers were also great orchestrators like uh, Mahler yeah. or yeah. Uh, who, by the way who was also a great conductor. Um, but what's your take on this? Where, where is orchestration? Is orchestration more on the composition side or is it more on the performance side? I think it's really interesting. You know, 
the, some of the greatest composers were single instrument composers. So that they, they create thematics. The orchestrator, and I think that it's really interesting, probably the modern analogy is the producer. Like yeah. when you, uh, for instance, I, I watched, and I'm sure you did, the Beatles, um, Disney kind of 10-hour, yeah. whatever, 50-hour long thing. And, Get um, back. Right, yeah, it was wonderful. Seven and, hours. And, I, I watched it. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and but how interesting, and I forget the, his name, but the, the A&R man, who was yeah. a principal musician who could play, yeah. but could could orchestrate strings. Yes. And you listen to Paul McCartney, you know, afterwards, and I've listened to lots of interviews of Paul McCartney, who was just going, we wouldn't have done it like that. You yeah. can tell when he orchestrated. Yeah. Because he had a more classical set of principles that he would bring rigor and organization. So you have obviously a composer, maybe single instrument. You have an orchestrator that, that transposes that composition into something that could be for a, a quintet or a full orchestra that can understand how to totally manage. We would call him either the producer or the mixer now, yep. like post. And then the conductor is, is the person who is the medium between the orchestra and the audience and the music. And, and it's so intriguing that, um, you know, like I was listening to a few interviews with conductors since Walter uh, uh, beautifully corrected me. And I was like quite taken by the fact that the conductors, the conductors aren't, um, they can read each line of music. Mm -hmm. They can read nearly everything that's going on, but the performance for them is the moment that they're with everybody and it, and, 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 and how full the auditorium is everything. And it's like, Oh God, you know, I mean, you know, this is a bit, you know, we have to, and it's, it's live, live production that's, that's creating an, a layer of an experience for the people, both in the orchestra and in the audience. And I think that you're right. It isn't the person that, that, that has the back to you. It is also, by the way, the, the CEO role in a company, and, and I've thought about this a lot, is that, you know, like I'm myself quite argumentative. I'm a tough character, right? I am quite kind of imposing, but I recognize a CEO. And the CEO is the one person that makes me realize that the, the, the larger effort is more important than my principled point. Yeah. And we can work it out. And, and it takes a very powerful person not to be authoritarian in that moment, but to allow people to blossom, which again gets back to, you know, Free Jazz and Derek Bailey. They, you know, forego composition, so to speak. They forego um, even being a theorist. You know, Derek would tell me a lot that he just did not want to write. And he thought that writing mm. was the end of the music and recording was the end of the music. Like mm. you should never record and you should never write. In a way, Derek wanted to embody, because of course he started as a session musician, that's why he got into free jazz in the first place. He got he was in the pit playing whatever show tune over and over and over again, every night the same. And he would start to invent new ways to play the same tune. Yeah. And eventually he said these new ways of playing were more important than the tune. Yeah. And then he started to think, I think he started to become the composer, the orchestrator, and the musician all at once. Yeah. Yeah, instant and he, composer, he, instant orchestrating, yes, instant yes, instant. Yeah. And he said that the discipline to be unmelodic is very, very hard. Yeah. Because you know, and you know, of course, again, getting back to the Beatles, get back. 
like understanding different harmonic principles, melodic principles, different countries, different cultures, different tonalities. Like we're so used to all of our instruments being tuned the same way. I, I, I often say this to my daughter. The, the piano can be played. The music that you're reading to play the piano can be composed. But the piano can be designed and the cadence of that piano and the tonality of that piano can be changed. And, and, and actual instrument making is also designed. And you can be doing any of those things or all of those things at once. And so, yeah, I think that the moment where I would listen, I think I went to a few gigs with Evan Parker and Derek Live. It was like they were inventing the instrument at the same time as playing it. Yeah. And it was, you know, they're like, oh, you know, maybe I'll find this aspect of the instrument nobody's even touched yet. And you realize that, that what they wanted to be was the instrument maker, the instrument player, the comp composer. And they wanted to get to the transcendent moment that the conductor does, which is to be in the moment, yeah. to not be in front of it, not play licks, not play pre-learned things. Just they're saying, look, we're in a room and there's these people and there's these people watching and that will affect everything. It's in a way human procedural music. They're letting the system, which is themselves, take over. Yeah, it's it's really really beautiful that you how you uh, describe this. Let's say from classical music where we have the composer, the orchestrator, and the composer, uh, and, and the conductor. Sorry, and on the on the on the other hand, or on uh, for me on the same side, the the modern producer who's yeah. doing everything digitally uh, nowadays and both of them they don't make the noise the noise is coming from somewhere else from the instruments yeah. that's also yeah. a different position and on the other hand the instant composing uh, of uh, and um, yeah we, we call it free jazz but it's it, it's also free improvised and yeah you, you, you just mentioned even even parker yeah. and also um, they're masters of their instrument And that's yeah. also why I, I love this analogy, because um, it fits so good to, let's say, modern business in some way. So mm -hmm. the old business would be only um, with all respect for, for, for the conductor and not understanding that it needs an orchestrator and before someone has to invent the music. Um, Uh, and and on, on the other hand, that we have to improvise, but not improvise as some kind of quick fix uh, of yeah. something that is there, but but really generate from new uh, uh, something new. So, so, so like you just said with uh, Derek Bailey, so mm. uh, I really can recommend to listen uh, to his um, to his guitar playing. That's one of a of a kind. I, I never heard something else before. Yeah, and and the and the craziest thing is uh, his uh, he has one uh, one CD with uh, only with standards jazz yeah. standards. Yeah, and please listen. That's so open and it's it's dissonant. Yeah, but it's um, sometimes I work with that music in the background because it's so so calming. So it's funny. I find I found it when I you know very challenging to listen to, and it's interesting how. Over the years, and even things like Bitches Brew from Miles Davis, I found very hard to listen to because it wasn't what I was expecting. And the the albums that or, 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 or music that I understand and loved always fall away. Mm -hmm. And what I continue to listen to is the stuff that's hard to listen to. 
because it's like um a research paper it's 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 um it demands a level of understanding from the audience and a level of freeing from the audience that um that sometimes I'm used to and sometimes I'm super uncomfortable working on the magazine index with Andrew and Virgilio two com- collaborators I jam with you know Andrew's going for a wonderful moment of being absolutely free and I'm like feel stiff and like corporate and I'm like oh I can't bend my arm in that way and he's saying man man you used to be free and I said yes you know but like freedom is something you you have to maintain right you, it's it's intriguing right to have be challenged and I think that's the thing the one last thing I love about music is that you know much as we love LinkedIn and, and all of these silly kind of corporate you know shouting boxes Music was, you know, John Coltrane standing on the stage with Charlie Parker and saying, I can play faster than you, better than you, and I've got more ideas than you right now. And Charlie Parker would go, no, you don't, because I have more and I can do it. Oh, God, he's got more. And that dueling nature of I will stand up there with you, next to you, and we will duke it out. And we will extemporize and we will run and we will fly is... um is so close to what my kids play when they're trying, when they're in, I don't know, Roblox, or they are doing the same thing. Like it's immediacy. There, there aren't the, the, the ranking of this person's a CEO and this person's a junior intern. It's just that if you want to stand up on stage and you want to do it and you can give it a go and you put the work and effort in, give it a go. And if it breaks, then everyone's going to laugh and pat you on the back and it's going to be brilliant. And they say, Come up again, but don't come up until you've worked your chops and get better at it. And so for our, my other de- career, design, we have lost the ability to, to integrate craft with, um, with a sense of display. Hmm. We tend to put craft down in the hallways, in the back offices, the people who craft. And it's, you know, why I say I'm an orchestrator is that yeah, I'm a designer, on it, but I can actually sit with a CEO and if I've done my homework, I can talk about their business and the challenges on their business, but I can do it skillfully and, and intricately and creatively in the same way that maybe an improviser might do with music. And the un questionable response from nearly every CEO I speak to is how do you know so much about my business and how can you think so so quickly and I said well it's because I'm not thinking the way you think hmm. I'm in med- being immediate I mean improvising and you know it's really hard I mean my brother's a scientist it it it, it you know like de Bono Edward de Bono the great thinking uh uh, uh, uh writer thinking said hats. yeah th- th- thinking hats right he said Logic is really powerful, but why use it to go forward? When it's so powerful, you should always use it to go backwards. You should leap and then post-rationalize. Logic is the, as powerful backwards as it is forwards, and we should never use it to move forward. And so that immediacy of being on stage, that presence, that entering into the conversation with people is something that corporations find incredibly hard because they're, because they're composers, orchestrators, and conductors. And uh, I, I, I don't think I'm an... Derek Bailey. I'm not an improviser. I can improvise, 
but my greatest skill is to improvise then orchestrate what I just did. I'm a mm. theorist mm. and I love the theorists. I love, um, you know, Miles Davis, great theorist. I love George Russell, like, you know, the, the Lydian concept. I, I, I think quickly like an improviser, but there are many better improvisers than me. What I'm good at is then going back, listening to the improvisation and going, oh, I get what we were doing there. It's mm. kind of intriguing. That's something new. And then I like to build the steps and make the logical progression down to somebody who doesn't like listening to the music and say, hey, it's okay. You can begin. Like I, because I'm the childlike mind that sits at the beginning of all of this. Mm. I'm not the... Uh, the, the, the wonderful improviser that's adult, that's, you know, experimenting with themselves, like to go out there into the ether. I'm still the childlike mind that goes, you know what? I never liked Jackson Pollock as a kid. And I, I, want, I was absolutely keen to understand why I didn't. Hmm. Why did I like, you know, um, why did I like Canaletto more? Yeah. And that's just because that's the normal human response. It's also understanding, trying to understand what you know. So if you get introduced very early into something, then you recognize it and then you you open to like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like very much the the analogy that that we're doing the the whole time between the music and and the design and music uh, as a theorist, as you say, um, it consists of a lot of different parameters um, even lyrics or not lyrics, that's also an interesting part. What kind of motives are there or yeah. sections? How do you structure and organize it? What kind of form is it? And it looks like you um, um, you made a whole web, uh, website about this because that's also pattern recognition, talking yeah. about patterns. So could you introduce us a little bit more into... Um, the patterns of uh, brands or brands as patterns. Yeah, I, I, there's two stories, and I, I will start with the, the non-narrative, the system. It was intriguing. The demand that we were being asked when we're thinking about designing brands is is consistency. That's the demand. I mean, at least it was. And then, you know, 1998, the age of what we think about the distribution or the internet, you realize that consistency in a medium that's interactive can feel slightly robotic. It's this, the thing I say that, that, you know, when you're on the phone uh, to an automated phone system and it's asking you questions, mm-hmm. you, you know that you can get through it. But what you really want is, is something that's uber relevant to you, not this consistency. And, and the challenge was, and I can remember this challenge of going, well, how do you build something that's consistent but entirely relevant? And relevant is based on modulation of difference for everyone. And consistency is based on the lack of modulation and the consistency of everyone. And for me, it was a paradox. You couldn't answer that. And it was when I was on the London Underground looking at the fabrics of the seats, wonderful designs, The that I had that moment, and I think, you know, obviously, you know, on the, probably I was on the, on, on the London Underground on the way back in the tube. I was probably tired, staring at this yellow, black, and orange fabric. And a moment, I thought, the, the, the entire experience of the fabric was like a texture. Hmm, but if yeah. you really focused in on it, 
there was an intricate. And, you know, it occurred to me, and I think maybe it was actually being in Holland and going to the Escher Museum, that, that, that you could modulate a pattern. Yeah, yeah. But it would be consistent. Yeah. And, I, and it just blew my mind. I was like, oh, my God, I think patterns are the only thing that can stay the same but change. And, and I was like, on the subway, on the underground, sorry, thinking... What is an example of this? And immediately I went to music yeah. and thought, God, I must have played a jazz standard like 50 times. I still know it's the jazz standard, but I never played it the same twice. Mm-hmm. How were we able to do this with music? How are we able to recognize a tune, even when it's so abstract and changed? And I went, that's it. For me, that's the way that you can build brands for the modern age, is that you build something that's, that has a consistency, a framework, so to speak of which you can modulate from. And the level of modulation was controlled enough that you couldn't get so far away from the original idea that it it would be unrecognizable, but you could go far enough away that you could make something relevant for everybody and adapt and change it. And um, it's, it's, you know, straight back to music. Uh, my, one of my most joyous ma- moments of like, you know, being in a band is improvising is watching each one of us wander away from the tune we're playing. Hmm. And I swear, you know, like you're in there and you're not the person improvising at that moment. You're just putting in the beats. So you know, bar four, play three notes, then that, the stabs, everything, everyone's aligned. And, you know, being in a rhythm, in a, in a, in a, 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 a brass section like I am, right? It's either me and a trombone or me and a saxophone. And, and, and so the pianist has gone off. And I swear, I look at the saxophone and I'm going, and we're looking at each other going, I don't know where that person is. Are they there? Are we here? And we think, well, I don't know. Our job is to keep the road. We have to keep the road. We're on the road. They're not on the road. And the joy is watching them come back. And you think, wow, they're not as far away as I thought they were. They're, They're coming back. And just then that wonderful crash and the audience just going, <gasps> how did they find, how did they all hit the note together? And, and you know, the funny that's thing performing. is... That's it's performing. performing. Doing live on stage. Yes, but the, 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 the thing the audience don't realise is that we're as surprised as they are. <sighs> we're like, there's no way this person can come back. You know, there's sometimes... But you, you have the, to keep... You kept the space. You kept, you kept, the, kept space. the space. And kept the tension. And as yes. long as you keep... You're holding that space for for everything that's possible that could emerge. That's your then new things will emerge or people will come back. And so think about that for brands. And it's intriguing the way that brands have played with it. You know, like one of the delicious moments I had, I'd worked on Nike in 1996 when I was at Wyden and Kennedy in, in Amsterdam. And, you know, in some way, I remember even presenting to the the, the, the then... Uh, Stefan Olander, who was the head of digital design at that moment, but it was so nebulous at that moment. He, he was just a small voice and a large picture, and I was doing posters. And I can remember almost being quite dismissive, regrettably, of, 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 of the sense that this had uh, interaction. But just do it. We were doing just do it. like, And we were expressing just do it. Very didactic. And then I came back and then worked at RGA, working on Nike Plus, which I worked a little bit, but more on Nike Fuel. Stefan was the same client. And I remember saying to him, you know, oh, I'm so sorry for the arrogance of that time. And he just laughed. And I said, look, the world 
the world that you described is the world that we live in. And, you know, I'll get to work on Nike Fuel. And I said to the team, Nike Fuel, it, you know, like was a, a system that we designed, wasn't the hardware, the, the product, the watch that you wear. It was more the, how do you measure fuel? And I said, look, the interesting thing is that fuel measures do. If just do it is what the brand's about, we're measuring the level of do. Hmm. Oh, and that changes beautiful. the nature of what just do it is. Yeah. We're saying, how do we assist people in doing it? Yeah. Rather than how do we tell people to do it? And so, you know, I, I, that for me was a little modulation towards how do we build brands that have cadence and opportunity and interaction and arriving at the same places. We're all trying to, we, we at the moment share, hmm. we're, we're sharing the stage. And then, you know, the, the, you start looking more, more modern, you, you realize that brands are playing with cadence. So like sneaker drops. Sneaker drops were a perfect example of the audience and a company arriving. They're like coming back, they're playing, you know, they're playing the same tune, but they're all different. And they arrive mm. at a moment together mm. and go, oh, that's it. That's the moment. That's what we're doing right. together. And it's that orchestration of the involvement of the audience and the involvement of the creators and the involvement is opportunities for orchestration. And, you know, and Brands as Patterns was really looking at that journey from the first insight, which was consistency and fine consistency, um, to the second insight that I had, which was, well, why are we, what is the meter, which is I called the speed of the market, yeah. right? and the speed of market, plus there's also speed of technology, you know, speed of, uh, 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 of publication, many, many speeds, but understanding the meter of how we have to work. And then finally, uh, the version three, which was orchestration, orchestrating a business where I just went back into uh, something that uh, I had seen and when I was at the wonderful design agency method, that the, the, the iPhone and iOS launches, I remember distinctly having an iPhone three and then getting an iPhone four as a consequence, not as a decision. And I thought, that's kind of odd. You know, the like iPhone three isn't working the way it wants, uh, you know, but iPhone 4 has more functionality. And in a way, the operating system was a way for you to experience the next product on your existing product in a very bad way. Mm, you went, yeah. oh, wow, I really want to do video calling, but it really doesn't work. <laughs> and then suddenly you go, it, 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 it. so I went back in and I mapped all of the hardware launches, all of the software updates, then all of the marketing launches and all of the big TV campaigns. And I mapped it onto a step sequencer for, for six years, I think it was maybe five years, across three or four launches of products, and I played it. Mm. And it was like a wonderful piece of music because there was almost, and I'm not saying it is Pavlovian, but there was almost a Pavlovian response to say, oh, this is September. I know that I'm going to get an, a software update or I know <laughs> that there's going to be a piece of hardware coming. And how am I going to meet this demand or meet yeah. this thing? Should I update? Shouldn't I update? And there was a moment when Steve Jobs was running Apple that the audience was entirely in tune with how he was running the business. He mm. was conducting and everybody was going, I know what's happening next. I know what's going to work next. I know how it's going to work. And, it, you know, 
much as Tim Cook, I think, is a great operator, he doesn't do the company like that. Mike, you mentioned in tune, but I think in the way you just described it before, I would rather say in sync, isn't it? Probably in sync Be is better. And, and that's I wanted to ask you, you again for people that might not so much into, into music, but a lot into business, because you just explained that the, a certain meter, a certain speed, yeah. which actually is something like we could also say a certain rhythm or a, a, a certain cadence. And I love the word cadence as well. because Oh, it's so, yeah. Yeah, but, but I would like to, how can we explain this to people in the business? What's the difference between, you know, there's a, there's a beat or rhythm that's going on. It's just ticking like you just mentioned in the sequencer. But then the question is, what are the events and are there recurring events with a meaning? So yeah. maybe maybe how, how would you explain what we know musically to people in the business that they say, oh, that's interesting. Maybe we should dive more into music to learn more for our business. I mean, listen, the amount of times, one, personally, I've reread this, two, had to explain it, the difference between frequency and cadence. You know, frequency is the amount of beats in a measure or the amount of events happening across a piece of time. But it doesn't account for when those things happen across that time yep. intricately. Cadence is the way we modulate the frequency in a period of time. So we can say a cadence, maybe we miss a beat and add something, or we miss five beats and add something. Cadence is the way we deliver based on a set of circumstances and responses, different organizations and patterns of music. And so frequency is something where we can say how, well, I'm helping Condé Nast, how regularly do they publish? Hmm. Yeah, we should set a frequency. But the cadence could be that we want to publish something in the middle of, our, of that frequency to change something, or we want to dot, or we want to miss things. And I think that like the, the, the way I help business people understand cadence is you need to think about how you modulate. Why? Because modulation is a way of integrating many frequencies all at once. And, you know, uh, the quickest way I can, uh, can help you understand it, it's the, the, the hop and step we do before we get on the travelator at the airport. Mm -hmm. Because you have to speed yourself up to get onto the travelator because it's moving. Yep. That's cadence. That's modulation, the steps that you do. Now, frequency, you may take 50 steps, but like the steps you took before the travelator and the steps you took after you're on the travelator are very, very different. And the steps you had to take in between was the way you modulate yourself is the cadence of your steps hmm. across uh, 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 varying contexts and your ability to adapt. And unfortunately, you know, consistency in brands, and I know I'm swapping from music to brands, but my brain's a bit, uh, I have a bit of synesthesia, but um, uh, the brands when they were consistent only tended to not be able to modulate. Hmm. And so what you got was, you know, I, I give everyone the example of Kodak. You know, Kodak's entirely consistent. As a brand, it must be the most powerful brand in the world. Difficulty is it was entirely consistent and entirely irrelevant. Yeah. So consistency cannot be the measure of value of a brand. But we, but we all do, or we, let's say, the business yes, world does. Yes, the business world does. Yeah. Because, and, and I also would like to, to do the analogy to Agile. Yeah. Uh, with, with Agile, with sprints, it's all about the frequency 
and actually the cadence happens in between and yeah. i'm i have, I have a, a different word in uh, in 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 the, the the music thinking and the power of music thinking where i say we have listen tune play and perform and yes. these four phases they yeah they overlap each other and in the yeah. way they overlap each other you get a different dynamic and yes. to to make the link what you say the the the, the cadence uh, is the dy dynamic creator yes. in the, in that part and this means yeah we start out being classic like First compose, then orchestrate, and then do the rehearsals, and then we have the performance. But in the middle of it, everything is happening at the same time, and we are right into some kind of free jazz, instant yeah. composing. And yeah. that's what, what, what I think, and that's so natural for, like, businesses are operating like this. So it's never like, okay, now we have to go back to our frequency because then we are in control. No, hell no, then you're not in control because you're missing, you're missing out on all the accelerations in between. Uh, I, love, I love what you're saying. I think the interesting part out of all of this, I'm working a lot at the moment on governance systems. So government as a service, but beyond government as a service, distributed government systems. But governance is also an interesting thing when you're looking at frequency because, look, The operational peoples inside of any business and organization, they have to set a frequency. So you have to have a level of alignment, a level of operational success. And, and the regulation of that um, is, is, is the governing system. And I think that, like, you know, we all have a governing system. It's a heartbeat. It, you know, and, and, and is, by the way, listening to music that's the same speed as your heart, Yeah, but hang on, heartbeat is actually maybe a best example for cadence. Sometimes well, it goes quicker. I mean, but yes, but the limbic system sends the signal to uh, the, that's the regulating, right? It's All a right. regulating yeah, system. Yeah. Okay. So it says I should have a certain beat a minute, which is resting heart rate, which is which is good. But the heart has to respond, and so that's the wonderful thing about listening to music. That if you you know like the, the greatest DJs in the world, they they move your heartbeat to new places you know, pushing you further. And then before long, you're dancing and your heart beats, you know, 120, 125, you're amazing. Like, you, it's a workout and, 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 and moving your heart. But the, the thing you have to re remember is it does not move the regulation. It does not move the governing system. Your limbic system still sends nerve impulses of which your heart's going, that's a good idea. But what we really need to do is to go 10 times faster than that right now because we have to. And, um, you know, like... I, I found great solace in because you know managing the amount of work I get on is is understanding those principles of of regulation and governance and cadence in my body and understanding that you have two nervous systems parasympathetic and sympathetic and one can slow down and regulate and govern and calm and the other one can increase and you know respond and uh, a change and I think that like uh, organisms the human body and companies should be able to do those two things at once they should be able to be calm like the surfer looking at the waves counting the waves but that moment the wave comes you must be able to accelerate you must be able to jump in a way that nobody else can and the only way you get to do that is through exercise you can't you can't be the person that's regulated and organized all the time and expect You know, like, I don't know how many companies are going, oh, we need to be Web3. And I'm like, oh, no, no, you don't. No, no. What you need to do is to exercise. And then 
if you can catch up with what's happening in the world, you can be relevant again. But you can't suddenly, like an uncle dancing at a wedding, expect to pull your moves when what you do is a day job and sitting at your desk. You're going to fall over. And I think that like it's, um, it's important, I think, that we realise that frequency, i.e. the regulation and the governing system, and cadence and modulation work together in harmony and disharmony. I know I'm crossing the musical boundary there, but like in sync and out of sync um, because it's valuable. Why? Even if you listen to the best music in the world, it is not. I mean, I don't know if you've, um, if you've listened to, now I'm forgetting his name, wonderful producer. Ah, it's unimportant. Um, it was a whole series about drum machines hmm. and drummers, how, how getting to learn to play with click tracks. Yeah. And I think Quest Love. Quest Love Supreme? A, yeah, it just yeah, gave yeah, a wonderful beautiful rendition podcast of it. as well. Yeah, and yeah. he was like, listen, I wanted to prove to everyone, I think he said, I want to prove to everyone that I can play better than a, a drum machine. I'm to play, I can play as accurately as a drum machine, but then I can also modulate, I can also shift around. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh, he really gets it. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, this guy's a genius. He really gets it. But, but, but I think sometimes organizations and companies feel a bit like the drum machine. Hmm. And, you know, hard to play with. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, Mark. Um, I think um, some people really have to digest what we just talked because we not yes. only talked about <laughs> music, but also about business and about design and uh, even the limbic system and everything in the body. And so with all these analogies and, and uh, our first the patterns and patterns of patterns, and now we're comparing analogies with analogies. But actually that's for um, the, the idea to really sync and that everything is connected to, with each other. So I I'm, I'm really, really like that thought. So thank you. Yes. Thank you very much for that. Okay. So before we close... Is there anything you, you think we have not covered yet? <laughs> anything I mean, you want to share? Anything we, we forget? I think, I, think, um, I think the one thing I would say is that music makes sense to children. And everything we said in, in the descriptions and terminology and orchestrate and all of those things are, are the theorists sitting on top of the childlike understanding. And I think that like... Um, It just no, no, the one thing I would like to say is just, just no fear in beginning, in no fear in trying, you know, like we can all play music. We can all, so for anyone who's in one of your sessions or one of my sessions it, that may be feeling like they don't know enough, just say, look, it's, it's inbuilt in you. You all have a heart. Mm. You all know what happens. You can all respond. It's all fine. We can all work it out. I think the other part I would say is that You know, I may sound like I've worked it out. I haven't. You know, Brands as Patterns, I put on brandsaspatterns.com. I have like the first three, the first article that was from 10 years ago, Redefining Consistency. And, you know, I've moved on from then two more. I'm probably going to write six or seven more. I just mm. would invite everybody to have a dialogue. I think it's super important to contribute. And I get you know, daily, really intriguing questions from people who, who are understanding what you and I are saying, but applying it to something slightly different. 
and you know real 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 challenges and um i really enjoy those challenges you know i really enjoy these conversations but we can only talk about stuff we know about and there's plenty that we don't know about so my my i just encourage people reach out to me however we'll, we'll work out like the methods i'm sure on one of the social channels but yeah how, how I, I, should they connect with you so i mean you know it's i i'm a on on nearly every channel uh, i think probably the easiest way to connect to me is on one of the social channels like linkedin i'm sure I'm, people are on I, it if they want to run it but i will um, put it in the show notes so, so. Yeah. I mean, but, but and also, also your website, so brands as patterns, because I think good to mention they can download uh, your your thoughts. So yes, one dot o, two dot o, three dot o, and as a PDF, and also can compare and get into the thinking that we just uh, just shared. Absolutely, and they're all free. I decided to make everything free out there because, it, it, like all the great theorists, we all benefit from each other's theories, and I think in the end. You know, teaching more people to to think about this is more beneficial to all of us. So, all free and all open. But I truly appreciate the conversation and uh, the challenges and the pushes. And let's keep the dialogue. Mark, thank you very much. It was really a pleasure to talk. Really a pleasure to to surf from one analogy to another one. And really, thank you very much for everything that you shared with us. Thank you, Christoph. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate this because listening is one of the top leadership skills and I feel honored about this. It is my mission to find, create and share inspirations for meaningful collaboration based on music analogies. If you want to support this, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating or write a review on iTunes or Spotify. And more inspirations can be found on musicthinking.com. We have a blog and you can download the Music Thinking Framework. And finally, I would love to hear your feedback. And if you need help with a business challenge, please reach out to me via email, podcast at musicthinking.com.